I can't talk about entrepreneurship without talking about like the real safety net my parents had for me, right? And I think my parents would have loved to take risks, would have loved to be entrepreneurs, but the opportunity just wasn't available to them because they really did not have the kind of safety net that they then ended up providing for us. So I think that's been something that I like, I, my parents are probably sick of it, but I tell them every day, I'm like, I would not have any of this business, this entire business is them. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Nell Diamond is the founder and CEO of Hill House Home a digital-first lifestyle brand offering bedding, bath, baby accessories, and apparel, including their widely beloved nap dress. My wife, she has a few of those nap dresses and raves about them. So I knew this might be one of the few podcast episodes of mine that I could actually get her to listen to. The Hill House business has grown exponentially, and almost everyone I talk to seems to know about it. In fact, my longtime friend and colleague, Catherine Sharpstone, told me I had to get Nell on the podcast. Prior to starting Hill House Home, Nell worked as a fixed income analyst at Deutsche Bank. She made the move and left the corporate world with a bit of fear, like all entrepreneurs. But of course, she has made success. Hill House Home is a digital first lifestyle brand that brings beauty and joy to everyday rituals. With its design-centric approach, Hill House Home offers impeccable quality and timeless feminine styles through quality products designed to enhance and celebrate life. Nell, she's no dummy. She received a BA from Princeton University and an MBA from the Yale School of Management. Born and raised in London, I had to start out by asking her why she decided to move to the U.S. and come to college here. I was born in London. My parents were expats. So my parents are American. We traveled for my dad's job. My husband always jokes. I was playing the short game with my accent. It was very cool <laughs> to have an American accent when I was in London. And now suddenly I have the rest of my life for people to be like, you really should have gone with a British accent. But so we moved around a lot. So I was born in London, spent most of my life in London, also spent a couple of years in Tokyo as a very young child. And I really wanted to come to the States for college. I felt like I had never really experienced American kind of life in earnest. So it was important to me to kind of go to college in the States. Uh, I knew I wanted to have that experience. Yeah. And where, where did your parents, where did they grow up? In the U.S.? Yeah, my mom is from Lansing, Michigan, and my dad is from Concord, Massachusetts. My dad is one of like 11 kids, so his family actually moved to Nantucket Island year-round. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, when he, he was one of the oldest, so when he went to college, they moved to Nantucket Island, right? right around then. So most of them kind of live year round on Nantucket, which is where I am right now. Now, I know you went to Princeton and then I believe Yale and you must have really uh, taken to school and and worked hard and were driven. Was was that always inside of you? 
Yeah. I mean, so I have, um, I have an older brother, he's four years older than me. And, and I remember thinking, you know, we were like the polar opposites in terms of schooling. He was one of those people that could like walk into a test and just like remembered everything and he could ace it. I was one of those people that like had the color coded notebooks for like hours. I spent my entire Sunday studying, but I think in, in many ways, like seeing him kind of go before me and really love learning was, was really helpful. It, it kind of helped drive me to be motivated, even though I had to work a lot harder than he did. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting though, because for a lot of the entrepreneurs and that we have on, on the show, it really, a lot of them were more in your space where they had to really work hard to achieve yeah. and to be successful. I mean, some people are just super smart and they're successful in, in any case, but when you, do you find that having had to have put that work in an extra effort to excel really helped you in business and specifically with your venture Hill house home. Yeah, definitely. I, I remember like kind of first year at Princeton taking like an intro to psychology class and um, reading about Carol Dweck and like growth mindset in child psychology and just feeling like, oh my gosh, this is me. Like I never had it kind of automatically come to me. And so I really always had to work at it. But because of that, I did kind of think the world is my oyster, right? Like if I, as long as I work hard, as long as I like actually put my head down and do the work, then that's okay. I can kind of make it through. So I, I feel you know blessed that I had that mentality kind of young and definitely had that work ethic. My parents are, my dad's like biggest motto growing up was always work your hardest. <laughs> that was it. it was always work your hardest, no matter what you're doing, what it is. I did not like that on the soccer fields. Um, <laughs> I have no interest in working my hardest here, but that was his motto. I love that. I love you mentioned Carol Dweck, really interesting and funny. I, I have two teenage girls and, and that was one of the books I read early on where it's all about praising the work ethic, yeah. not the outcome. And yeah. I'm, I'm a true believer in working hard. And I know you have done that obviously your whole life, but tell me about you started really in finance and how did you find yourself becoming an entrepreneur? I was a little lost, to be honest. You know, I, I went to Princeton. Princeton was such a pipe dream for me. I thought like, there's no way I can get into this school. And, you know, the entire time I was there, I just felt so kind of lucky to be around all these professors and doing the independent study I was doing. And a lot of kids were going into finance. And of course, you know, I had the experience, my dad had been in finance his whole life and it felt like this was the kind of path, right? And I was coming from this very structured, okay, you take your SAT on this day and your AP, you take all these AP exams and then you write the college essay. Finance felt like the natural next step for a million reasons. Like interviewing schedule for internships began my junior year, like uh, kind of fall of my junior year, we started prepping for these internships. And I thought, well, there's a hard thing. I'm going to try and do it. And I think a huge part of me also wanted to prove to myself that I could do it, which is how I felt for a lot of kind of my schooling career. So I did. And I took the internship, 10 week internship, you know, junior summer, found it really, really challenging, but then got the offer, got the offer for a full-time job. And it was, it was hard to turn that down, hard to go into my senior year and turn that down. So I kind of told myself, all right, I'll give it two years. I'll see, I'll see how I, I react to it how I like it, but it really felt like kind of the the natural progression and the, in many ways, the hardest, but easiest thing to do. And how did you like it? I loved a lot of parts of it. And then I found a lot of parts of it challenging. I loved the team format. So I worked on a trading desk. I worked on um, a rate sales trading desk in New York city. It was a very tight knit team. I had an awesome boss. There's a lot of mentorship. And in many ways, I think it was kind of like employee boot camp. So even when I was an intern, uh, you know, you were learning like 
I remember sending an email that didn't have a subject line and like this managing director coming up to me and being like, Hey, just, you know, like you always have to have a subject line. Why? <laughs> and they're like, because other people get a lot of emails, you know, you probably only get one a day <laughs> and simple things like that, or like how to take notes in a meeting. I remember the first couple of days, like even full-time, you know, there's just so many words. I had no idea what they were. It was like a foreign language and, you know, writing those down and maybe like finding five minutes at the end of the day to ask people, as opposed to like constantly peppering them and saying like, what's this word mean? So I love that. I love that boot camp aspect of like, here's how you work at a company. Here's what, how a company operates. I think I found the subject matter challenging in terms of my interest level, right? Like it was challenging, but I could kind of see, look, I think there's like a steep learning curve. And then I think things become a little simpler. It's, it, I really equate it to learning a language, but the subject matter was not exciting to me. You know, I wasn't waking up kind of really passionate to see what the markets were doing overnight. And I didn't feel like there was a lot of longevity in that for me. I wanted to continue working and, and that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't going to do it for me. And how did the idea come then? And, and obviously you worked a little bit longer within finance, but when was it and, and how did it happen where you really finally felt I'm going to go out on my own and I'm going to create this lifestyle brand, so to speak? Yeah. So, you know, I've always loved brands. I've loved fashion kind of my whole life. And, and especially growing up in London in, you know, the 2000s, it was such an iconic time for fashion. I, I remember, you know, Topshop came out with its first run of collaborations and now collaborations are everywhere, but this was the era where Kate Moss collaborated with Topshop. And it was the most exciting thing that anyone had ever seen, especially <laughs> me seen in London. And, you know, this was the era of like the Spice Girls and, and all of those things. And I had always thought, right, that's like a hobby. That's like something I like. And there aren't even jobs available for me in that field. Like, I don't even know what that would mean. I kind of had this idea that like, okay, if you work in fashion, you're like a designer. And I didn't feel like I was a designer. Now, kind of however many years later, I really am trying to work with both Princeton and Yale to, to talk to young people about like what actually goes into jobs in, in fashion and in the brand landscape. But anyway, so I was very passionate about brands in my personal life. And, and when I was sitting in banking, I was kind of watching my friends. So I was in the sales and trading department, watching friends in equity research and they're doing these like awesome, awesome reports on brands, right? And they're digging into like fast movers and merchants and sell-throughs. And I was super curious. And I was also watching kind of the next wave of direct-to-consumer companies come about and, and really challenge, you know, the big guys and, and how they're they're kind of accessing customers. So I started to have my wheels turning a little bit and I really wanted to work in this space. So I applied to business school. I only applied to one business school. I'm like a very stubborn person. I'm like, I, want, <laughs> I know what I want. I know what I want. So I applied to the Yale School of Management. I knew they had an entrepreneurship program and I knew they were a little non-traditional. So when I started at SOM, it was like a hundred people in a class, which is, you know, pretty small for a business school. And I ended up getting in, I ended up getting in. I kind of went from there and started, started kind of incubating the business, right? Right. When I started at Yale. You know, and you went to business school and was anyone in your family, were, were there entrepreneurs. I know you said your dad was in finance. I'm not sure if you're what, what your mom did or uncles, cousins, anyone prior to you that really had some expertise or had started a business? That's funny. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. I, um, no, I don't think so. I mean, so most of my dad's side of the family are teachers in the um, public school system. So that's why they moved to Nantucket. My grandfather was the principal of the high school here. My cousins work in education. My dad actually was going to go into education and then to get some work experience, he worked in finance for like a year and never left. But, you know, I think everyone else in my family had a very different set of circumstances 
than I did. My mom had to give up her job to really support my dad's career. You know, she had three little kids and and my dad's career was, was going really well. And they had to kind of sit down and have a frank discussion about how they were going to make that work with three little kids and traveling the world. And she really had to give up a lot. And I think that was incredibly challenging for her. And for both my parents, you know, they didn't have the luxury. Entrepreneurship takes such risk, right? Right. And I can't, you know, talk about entrepreneurship without talking about like the real safety net my parents had for me. Right. And I think my parents would have loved to take risks, would have loved to be entrepreneurs, but the opportunity just wasn't available to them because they really did not have the kind of safety net that they then ended up providing for us. So I think that's been something that I like. My parents are probably sick of it, but I tell them every day, I'm like, I would not have any of this, you know, business, this entire business is them, even though they're not there, like, you know, in the Excel spreadsheets, like this is really the opportunity that they gave me. Yeah, I know. It's so true when you think back into generations before us, especially for female founders and just the opportunity really to, you know, not even female founders, but females who were in the workforce just, and I, I saw it straight up with my wife who, you know, just the difficulties of raising children and the battle between, do you choose that and, or do you work full-time or like you, do you do both? And then even prior to that, in those generations, they're just, there just weren't those opportunities. And it seems like you've been able to balance that. So how did it come about Hill House Home? And why did you, what made you start the business? Yeah. So the business originally started with this idea of the bedroom. So this very specific idea that the bedroom can be a sanctuary and it can be something that feels really true to you. And that was really born out of my life kind of constantly moving and having two brothers and having like my only space in my home be my little bedroom. And when I was like, you know, 13, 14, what that meant was I would go to like Claire's accessories in <laughs> my kids still do. Yeah. And I would get the feather boas that they had there and I would like string them along my bed. And then I would like, you know, paint the walls and put stickers up. And, and then I would finally feel like I can breathe. <laughs> like I, This is me. I can go to sleep because I feel seen by my bedroom. And then, you know, when I graduated college, I, I was in a dorm room all four years and I moved to New York city and was trying to kind of figure out like my first adult apartment, my first adult life, my first adult room. I was thinking a lot about what it meant to kind of create that home that felt true to you. So I wanted to really focus on bedding as a, as a starting point. You know, I did a lot lot of research into the kind of supply chain dynamics around cotton and producing bedding. And I thought there was a real opportunity for us to create product that felt really design driven. So it wasn't just like, Hey, our business model is D to C. So you're saving X, Y, Z. It's also about the feeling you get, right? Like when you just look at your bed and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is better than any hotel I've ever been in. This like really feels like me. I think you have such a tremendous mental health impact from really loving your surroundings. And so I wanted to kind of give people that using the new direct-to-consumer model, right? That was really taking off and using the power of the internet to kind of collect data about what people actually wanted. So it really started with this one very simple idea, which was how can you make your bedroom feel like you? And how can you do it at a price and at a quality that feels like it's really, really meaningful to you? So you have a great idea, perfect timing, right? With the D2C and, and being able to take on other brands. But what was it that finally made you leave corporate America and say, I'm going to give this a shot? 
So in between year one and two at Yale, I always say I'm like a reluctant entrepreneur. I had the idea. I had the business model. I had been like really working on it, you know, having discussions with suppliers, but I'm like naturally risk averse. And I was kind of thinking, oh my gosh, I can't like, this is a huge deal. I can't just like casually do this. Like, do I really want to do this? This is a big commitment. And so I decided to take advantage of the fact that I was at a great business school and could do some great recruiting. And I got a summer MBA internship at LVMH and I worked for the Louis Vuitton US brand. And again, this goes back to like my bootcamp idea. I wanted to be at the best of the best, right? LVMH is the absolute, like most iconic, iconic holding company. And I knew that Louis Vuitton US was a brand that had built something really special. So I went into the retail performance division there, spent, you know, like 12 12 weeks um, kind of working alongside some, some really great people. And I thought, all right, if I, if I can't stop thinking about this at the end, then I'll do it. And if I love, love Louis Vuitton and that kind of scratches the itch for me, then I'll, I'll stay there. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. I really couldn't get it out of my mind. I just, I just had to at least try. And I was also quite young. I was like 25 years old, 26 years old. And I knew if I didn't, start it, try it then that I would be kind of wondering for a very long time. So that was it. Ripped off the band-aid. More from our guest, but first a word from our sponsors. Are you a small business owner? Did you know that Visa's online small business hub has tools, discounts, and resources to help you run your business? So whether you're a business beginner or an entrepreneurial expert, find the solutions, tools, and tips you need to help take your business to the next level. Plus, if you have a Visa business credit or debit card, you can get access to cardholder benefits like Visa Savings Edge, a savings program which can help you save on everyday business expenses like office essentials, travel, and more. When you enroll your Visa Business Card and Visa Savings Edge, you'll have access to valuable offers which can help turn qualifying business purchases made with your enrolled Visa Business Card into savings for your business. Learn more at visa.com slash smallbusinesshub. Once again, that's visa.com slash smallbusinesshub. Visa, a network working for everyone. And our next sponsor, it can be something B to brilliant, B to bold, a B to breakthrough force that helps you B to beat expectations. How? With the platform B2B marketers have been waiting for. A platform with tools you need to build B to better relationships, to drive results that B to bash KPIs while B to boosting ROI and to be to boldly go where no marketers have gone before, all in a trusted environment that respects your business. So prep your marketing to be to blast off and tell those built for B2C sites you'll BRB because LinkedIn is where B2B is everything it can be. Get started with LinkedIn ads and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash advertise to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash advertise. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back. How difficult. A lot of our listeners work in corporate America and, and are, are thinking they have the same ideas, but a lot of times things hold them back because of the fear of failure or potentially not feeling comfortable. It sounds like you had some of that at the time when you launched this. Yeah. You know, I think I had a, I had a very kind of intense 
few years personally in my twenties. And I remember kind of waking up and thinking like, I need to be in control of my own life. And I really need to like wake up every day and like work what I can control and not focus on the things that I can't control. And in many ways, the business was such a wonderful way for me to do that, to really own that process for myself. And I think that what helped me get through it was the thing that made me the most anxious, right? Was other people's livelihoods. So at the very beginning, I was like, look, this is so crazy. This is so risky. I can't take other people's livelihoods and put them on the line. So for me, that meant starting off really on my own, you know, not hiring people. It was kind of like, all right, if this is my mess, I have to make it messy for myself and not for other people. And I think that helped and just taking it like one day at a time and in the beginning days. But, but, you know, I think the other beautiful thing about like the age in which I started this, not the, not my age, but the era is that, you know, you can start businesses in an, you know, as a business school speak in a minimum viable product way, right. You can get a Shopify site. Like I'm the biggest Shopify stand in the world. Like you can get that site, get a bank account. You can do it in a very minimum viable product way and take it one day at a time. 15 years ago, it would have been such a different thing to start a business. So that, that helped. Yeah. And and starting it the first day, turning on the lights, let's say, and starting and going after it. What was that feeling like? It was crazy. It was so cool. It was so cool. I mean, like seeing those first orders come through on our Shopify and just like getting ready to like get the emails from people. I did customer service myself for, you know, the first like year and a half, two years. And so I was very deeply involved. I wrote all of our Instagram captions and it was, um, it was just a really cool experience. I think I had no idea. I had thought a lot about how scary it would be and how risky it would be. I hadn't realized how how, how fun it would also be. I didn't really realize that you could enjoy what you do that much. Yeah. And early on, were there ever challenges? I'm sure to this day, there are challenges, of course, but were there any challenges ever at any point when you were just getting off the ground that you were kind of like, Hey, maybe I, I really should just go back into finance and, and get a job, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. So I, found out I was pregnant about two weeks after the company launched. And it was a lot earlier than my like little timeline had expected. My husband and I were super happy, but you know, I was 27 years old and in New York, that's like being like a teen mom. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> like my, much. Friends were, <laughs> my friends were like, literally, I always say this, my friends were literally at a club when I told them. <laughs> and so I felt very isolated and I had hyperemesis. So I was like super nauseous. And I remember the first, the first six months I had rented this. My big thing was that we had rented an office on canal street in Soho and, or Chinatown. And I remember that being like the biggest, I was like, it's a lease. Like, you know, there are all these things that you can get out of. If you, you know, you can cancel your Shopify, you can cancel your bank account. I'm like, at least you can cancel. So this is like real money in. And I remember going to this office every single day, like having a bucket next to me to throw up in and then like plotting away on my like warehouse WMS, like back end, trying to fulfill orders and just being like, you got yourself into this mess, girl. Like you got to figure this out. It was very challenging. And I actually, but the thing is, I don't know what I would have done if I had been working in banking at that time. Like it was so, I would have these, I would have like, you know, a couple of good hours in the morning. And then I would be like, you know, really sick for a couple hours. And then I'd go back to work at night. And thank God I was able to do that on my own schedule because it was really rough. It was yeah. Really and especially rough. those days, because prior to the Me Too movement, and even I know my wife had gone through it earlier on, like 
they didn't even understand half the things she needed to do. Or I, I just remember her like running home. And this is when she, we finally, uh, she had the child and like the things you need to do is just as an entrepreneur, at least you work harder than ever, but at least you have some flexibility in, in your life. And, you know, I want to talk to you. So you launched with bedding and bath and, and now offer apparel and, and what was it that, you know, made you expand? So I think one of the things I probably didn't realize until I got down to actually running the business was how much I loved the kind of like customer interaction. So, you know, if I had built, there, there was a part of me sitting in business school in our incubator being like itching to just get it out there, get the product out there, like let it live, see what happened. And once I started to do that, I realized just how much uh, customer co-creation was going to be a part of what we do, like community co-creation. And for us, what that meant was we would release a first edition of a product. We would get feedback from customers and we would immediately change it. Things as simple as like, Hey, I really love that pillow. I wish it had an envelope closure so that like the pillow doesn't fall out when I'm like making my bed in the morning. Very, very simple things are like, you know, Hey, it would be really cool if you could have a zipper on the end of the duvet instead of the ties. I was obsessed with that part. I really felt like this community was kind of building things alongside us. And that's something I never could have built in a business plan, right? Like in a vacuum, I would have had a totally different company than we do now. So kind of early on, we started to iterate based on customer feedback. And I would put out products, see how they did. And some products were total duds that I thought were going to be great. And some products really did well that I thought really wouldn't. And we had like one early kind of our version of viral at that point product, which was a mini pillow. And it was a 12 by 16 pillow. I remember we bought like 10 of them in the first <laughs> month. And we were thinking like, this is not a practical pillow. What we saw happening on the back end of the Shopify was that people were buying, they were a really good price point for baby gifts and you could monogram them and people were buying them for baby gifts. So we started to really market to that cohort, um, build a whole kind of product assortment around that use case. And they were kind of constantly sold out. So we always joke that was like the early edition of the nap dress, which is now our hero product. But I love that part. I love that part of like putting a product into the world, seeing how people react to it, and then kind of building a strategy around it. Okay. Even though my father worked and had a business in the garment center. I have to be honest. I am, I'm not the most fashionable person. Thank God I have my wife because she's incredible with this stuff, but tell me what is the nap dress? Okay. So the nap dress is a comfortable dress that you can wear everywhere. The name is a little bit of a misnomer. So it's not technically designed for napping. You're not supposed to nap in it. The name actually came from, I am a dress person. Like I really rarely ever wear pants. And when I would come home from like a long day of work and have to like, you know, make dinner for my kids and do bedtime routine, I wouldn't change into like sweatpants. I would change into like a comfortable dress. And I always called them my nap dresses. And, but I still hadn't kind of found the perfect one. They would either like be really loose fitting or like, I wouldn't feel that cute. And then they would like fill one box, but not another. So what I really wanted was a dress that I felt great in. Like I felt like I could, you know, do something like get on a zoom with you or with an investor or somebody else. But I also was comfortable enough to chase after my three children running around the house or go out to drinks with my friends after. And like kind of all the products we make, I wanted to put it out into the universe with no expectations. So there was no grand business plan around this product. It was something I really wanted to wear that I 
believed like would make a meaningful difference in my life. And I was going to let people decide if they liked it too. And so that's what we did. We spent about a year and a half kind of making the perfect five dresses that we thought would fit those kind of boxes. And then we put them out into the universe in 2019. And it's been, you know, the kind of biggest success of our company. I think it's the thing that people know us for the most. We have a trademark on the nap dress now. It's been a huge, huge, huge um, learning experience and, and really fun for me because it's my favorite product we've ever made. So it's always nice when that aligns. The customers and I have the same favorite product. Yes. And it's totally like you, you know, I love how you called it your nap dress. And that's funny, just how you kept it and turned out and realized so many other people needed that product or wanted that product. Was there a time with the business that you kindly felt like, Hey, I've really created a great brand here and I'm feeling kind of comfortable. Unlike that first moment when you had the lease and, you know, you're worried about paying the, you know, paying the rent. Has there been a time, was there a a moment where maybe even for a second you were like, wow, I think we've, we've created something great here. I've definitely never felt like I could sit back and relax. (laughs) I've never felt like, okay, I'm not worried about this. Like we've had such tremendous growth. We've had like two triple digit growth years in a row, three triple digit growth years in a row. But yesterday I sat on a zoom with my COO going through cash flow, like with just the same mindset, it's just the numbers are bigger. So I don't feel like from a kind of, I'm, I'm like traditionally very, I like to build a profitable business, which isn't super traditional in this space. And I'm, I'm very, very, focused on being kind of fiscally responsible. So I think from that perspective, I, I, I don't know if I'll ever feel comfortable. I I don't feel like we're like ever at that stage. It's just to scale up. But I think from a, I know that there was a moment for me when I kind of realized this existed outside of me a little bit. And that, that was really crazy. So I think 2019, the first nap dress drop happened. And then, um, you know, obviously 2020 happened. I found out things always happen around pregnancies for me. So I found out I was pregnant with twins a week before New York shut down. So March, 2020. And I, my COO and I were sitting, we were in a shared workspace. We moved on from Canal Street to a shared workspace, um, a couple blocks up. Um, that's what you call trading down. Actually, we had our own. <laughs> shared, uh, but again, that's the fiscal responsibility. So Smart. I we were sitting in, in, in the shared workspace and we were looking at this Excel and I was like, okay, this COVID is coming. What happens if we have zero sales for the next three months? Like what's our dead date? Like, when do we have to start like getting rid of contracts and like shuttering the business and like total disaster planning. And she and I are very good at that disaster planning. And then, you know, the next day, my doctor said, you need to, you can't go back to work. Like you're pregnant with twins, high risk pregnancy, like you need to work from home. So then COVID happened. And instead of the business shutting down, we had kind of the highest growth we've ever seen. So it was kind of the exact opposite of what we had expected. But much of that happened kind of inside, right? Like we weren't together. Our team of, we were five people and our team of five people was on Zoom sending tens of thousands of units across the ocean to our customers. And then right before I gave birth to the twins in October, 2020, I remember sitting at my desk, which was just my windowsill in my bedroom in New York City and seeing somebody in a nap dress walk by me. And I like, sure hormones, whatever, just like hysterically crying, like throwing my computer, like just so emotional because I didn't know this person. And it felt so momentous to like, and so humbling to see this person just like existing. Right. Like it's not the Instagram post that's like posed. It's just like this person is living in their life 
in our product. And she looked so cute. <laughs> I was like, and she looks great. <laughs> so it was just such a really exciting moment. To, I was kind of hoping I didn't know her. I was like, it's going to be different if I know the person. A hundred percent. I love that story. It's funny. We had, um, or I had uh, Chip Wilson, the founder of Lululemon on the yeah. show. And he talked about a similar first moment when, oh, wow, this could be something. And I guess him and his wife were walking down the street and they're staring at her and it's like, you know, the sweat. So they're staring at her butt basically. And the woman turns around and is like, what, you know, like, and that was the moment when it was not a friend or it wasn't someone they knew where it was just so empowering to see that other people had taken to your product and it wasn't like friends and family and whatever it may have been. And, you know, just before I let you go, where do you see the business? You've obviously expanded from your initial re- thoughts of betting. And, and I know it's very difficult to judge businesses and what takes off. You've talked about that and where you go, but do you have plans for the next few years in, in where you see Hill House Home? I think for us, everything is about product. And, you know, one of the reasons I'm, I'm such a big fan of, of Lululemon, which you obviously just mentioned is because it's so clear they are a product first brand, right. And that their product has real use case and has been really thought through the past couple of years of growth for us last year, despite, despite the growth, we spent, you know, like 2% of our budget on marketing and you don't get that kind of growth with that low spend without the product really driving the growth. So I think for us, I just want to keep really true to kind of the origins of the brand and really focusing on product first design first. And for us, this combination of practicality, and beauty at the same time. So just because something looks amazing on you and makes you really happy and might feel like it's it's a lot fancier doesn't mean you can't be comfortable at the same time. So kind of bringing that through to everything else we make. We're also going into new categories. So we're launching uh, Hill House Shoes next week. We launched Hill House Swim. We have some other new categories coming and, and that's just going to be really fun. This brand ethos um, kind of carrying it through to those new categories and and hopefully meeting new people. I think I've been really humbled by hearing some of the stories that people have had around our nap dresses, whether it was like, you know, get nurses getting their first vaccination in a nap dress or so many stories around like, this is what I wore in the hospital to deliver my first baby or at my 30th birthday party. And it's so fun because I think that's, that's, what's cool for us. Like this is a product that we made for everyday use. It's a wear everywhere dress that works for everything. But at the same time, we hear so many stories of people having these like very ephemeral, like really cool, special times that they had with the product. So for me, that's like what I'm going to keep chasing is how can we keep that mentality of like, this is a product that can live with you and you're doing the living and, and it's making you feel good at the same time. I love that. That's got to make you feel so good, especially when you have stories like that, that are so authentic and, and meaningful, you know, with let's say, you know, the vaccine or whatever it might be and making people feel comfortable, especially I think is so important. So I can't wait to see how you develop and grow and wishing you the best of luck and, and really appreciate you coming on House success happens now. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you having me. You got it. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning and you don't want to miss it.
And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost. And I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. That's R-O-B-E-R-T. T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.